Welcome back to Breakdowns for Breakfast. I am Danger, and joining me is uh, Monster. How uh, how the flyleaf are you? Are you going to leave us after this episode, only to join us for the next episode? <laughs> I am. I feel like a beautiful bride. Ah. <laughs> yes, I am. I'm excited to talk about this one. This is one that I brought to the table, the breakfast table, as it were. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to talk about Flyleaf's second album lesser known album memento more which was released november 10th 2009 so if this is the breakfast table am i like feeding you cereal or are we just eating it it never mind okay so memento more i wanted pancakes well you gotta go somewhere else anyway <laughs> so let's talk about this album so first up i guess you know what is, why did you bring this album here? Why are we talking about this today? So I think everybody heard Flyleaf's debut album that came out in 2005. It had it just several. Just called Flyleaf, right? It's yeah, just something. Yeah. Okay. And it had a terrible Photoshop Microsoft Paint album cover of like an emo kid being flown by birds. And it's really, hindsight, it's very silly looking. Okay, so with that, the album covers of that time period, they were all a Photoshop deal. And they, I, I like Not them great. because they're bad. <laughs> you know, like if you look at Senses Fails, you know, breakout album, same sort of thing. Uh, I think uh, The Used had one as well. There was just a lot of those bad Photoshop, good album yeah. covers, which when it comes to album covers, I like that first album cover of Flyleaf. And I do not like this album cover at all. No, it's a terrible I, album no. cover. The ones after this actually got better. Yeah. Uh, say what you will about the music, but the art direction ended up getting a little better as it as it went on. Yeah. But uh, again, I think a lot of people heard at least two or three songs off of that record because uh, I'm sick uh, all around me. These were songs that were on rock radio all the time. I think Lacey Sturm, kind of became a, a star in her own right off of that first album. Yeah. And I kind of don't remember there being a whole lot of anticipation for the follow-up. And when it dropped, I honestly do not remember if I got it right when it came out, if it was something I stumbled upon later. I really don't have a whole lot of recollection of hearing it in 2009 when it came out. Now, as far as Flyleaf as a whole, I like the band just fine but this is the only album that i go back to and listen to on a regular danger what about you do you like flyleaf do you dislike them any relationship at all okay so that first album was an album that got played on repeat in my apartment so on our gym class heroes uh, episode i talked about this somewhat that i was living in an apartment with a buddy of mine and we actually went to record store and i got Jim uh, Class Heroes, he got uh, 30 Seconds to Mars. I can't remember which album. I, I think it was the one when they still had four members instead of down to two now. But 30 Seconds to Mars. And then he also got that first Flyleaf album. And we played them all the time. And um, actually, uh, within that trip, sorry, I missed this part. I picked up Bush's, uh, when, Bush's album when they got back together. Inst or not when they got together. It was just his side project, I guess, Institute, which was not good but i bought the Ew. album and then 
uh, he had a Jeep and didn't have a top on it. And I was changing CDs and it went flying out. And the, the wind just caught it. And I was like, I am not upset. That's okay. Yeah. But along with that, so I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina for a while. And then I moved back uh, home and I ended up catching Flyleaf on this album. And I didn't realize it was this album because I don't didn't realize this album had actually happened. And uh, there was a bit of a crossover where one of these songs, I cannot tell you which one, I actually thought in, you know, in listening to this now, it was on the first album. You know, we mm-hmm. are many years removed from this happening. And I actually saw them open for a band called uh, Boy Hits Car. And <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, nobody knows Boy Hits Car, so... You know, that's, I that's, that's, I didn't that's see them, but they toured with 311. So of course, I checked them out. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, they had a couple of songs. They they were okay. Kind of reminded me of like Apex Theory or like one of those bands that's cool but a little too weird to to really garner a huge following. Yeah, I guess. You know, kinda. I don't know. They were fun to see live, but I bet they were live. Yeah. Yeah. Which actually, no, excuse me, I'm going to reverse that. So Boy Hits Car opened for Flyleaf. And that makes more sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I mix the two up. But you know, but I, it's funny you, should, you would mention the thing about the songs, because doing a little research, I saw that two or three of the songs on this album were actually written during the first album, like back in the day, and they yep. performed several of them live. Yeah. And then by the time they came to record the record, they tweak some of the lyrics and, and yeah, change it up a little bit. Yeah. That whole time period's kind of muddied for me. Maybe I saw them when they were on the last bit of the album before this. And it was right as this album was coming out. I I don't know. The, the time period gets very mixed up for me. You know, it's a, that was not yeah. the most, um, let's say, um, unclouded mind time of my life. <laughs> you know, so, if- We've all been there. So I saw them and then I never really listened to Flyleaf again outside of just them randomly popping up on playlists and, mm-hmm. you know, things that were curated by Spotify. So I really have no relation or uh, I I have no connection to Flyleaf after really that time that I saw them. Yes, I always yeah. thought Lacey Sturm was kind of cute um, and seeing her live, I was like, oh, she's she's. She is cute. And then I went back and looked at pictures of her now. And I'm like, she's not as cute as I remember her being. She's she's also tiny. She's she not is, even five feet tall. She is very little. Very little. I am going to see Flyleaf in September. So it was originally just going to be Lacey Sturm playing at Blue Ridge. But they announced Flyleaf is actually going to play. Yeah, I saw that she's back with the band. And I will say I did just kind of out of curiosity listen to their album with the other singer and it's good. It's not bad. It just sounds like a completely different band. It does. Um, It does. And, but quite or go on, go on. Well, just going to say, but honestly, this album, Memento More kind of sounds like a different band than anything else they put out too. And like I was going to say, going back to the first record, I just, I don't know. Like it, the first album is very kind of straightforward grunge, hard rock. That is fine. It had big hooks, but it didn't do anything that really like pulled me in. Whereas the reason I wanted to talk about this album is it gets a little weird. And 
that's why I keep coming back to it, I think. So the new stuff with the, or I guess Lacey's back like officially with the band now, but the other singer, she did a serviceable job. I don't know. And the way that they released, and I know we're talking about this album, so I don't want to spend too much time talking about other ones. Sure. But sure. I do think that their album releases, as far as who their singer is, is kind of strange because they release this album, which she left just after this album was recorded. And then they released another album with her. And then they released an album that was recorded with their other lead singer after their other lead singer is gone. And it doesn't make much sense to me, but you know, as we've talked about on other episodes, yeah, there's probably some sort of contractual uh, management financial reason that they had to put some stuff out. If I'm not mistaken and I, I could be wrong, I believe what came out after this with Lacey on it was more of a collection of B-sides and unfinished songs. Because I did skim through that one, too, and nothing really jumped out at me. So I'm not sure if that was really supposed to be a published record as much as we got to satisfy the contract kind of situation. So now let's talk about Memento Mori. Yes. Okay, you obviously have a great love and affinity for this album which is fine we all can like the things that we like i think that this album is about as top heavy as dolly parton so something that i'm starting to realize is that if bands want to put an interlude or some sort of separating track it needs to be somewhere in the middle not in a weird position that basically derails your entire album from then on out. Yeah. I agree with you. This is an album that I enjoy very, very much up until a certain point. And then it, it falls apart for me as well. Very similar to the closure, uh, closer in Moscow album. Closure in Moscow. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really good for a while. And then it sort of peters out. Yeah. Um, but I, I have some some thoughts on some of that. Now, what's really interesting is getting into the song by song. The first song on the album is called Beautiful Bride. Okay, so before we go any further... Okay, the Uncle Bobby situation? I do want to ask you... Okay, so the Uncle Bobby situation, yes. Because what I did when I was listening to the album, you know, I looked up stuff about the album as far as its track listing because I immediately noticed there's something off about the album. Now, Uncle Bobby, just like with the Korn album that you have, uh, the first Korn album that you got and you thought it was broken... Right. As I understand it, you had to actually rewind to get to Uncle Bobby on the actual physical CD. But then if you look at it, it was originally, or excuse me, it was released digitally and Uncle Bobby was track 15, which is way too long for an album. (laughs) And It's way too long for an album. And to be honest with you, it's very interesting that so much has been done with this song because as far as I'm concerned, it could be cut. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) but then if you look the album up on Spotify, it's got 19 tracks on it, which is way too long for an album. 
So there is two versions, and I guess I hope you didn't listen to 19 songs because no, no. I actually I actually only did the uh, the actual release of the album. I only did uh, zero through through 14, <laughs> and I didn't listen to 16, 17, 18, 19. I did just in passing, but no, I that feels like tacked on something or another to sell a few more records. Yes. I don't think any of those songs are very good. Well, personally. they needed to sell a few more records because this album didn't sell well. Exactly. So yeah, it only sold. Uh, I have the number here: three hundred eleven thousand six hundred copies in the U.S. in a little over a year. So come off of an album that went platinum. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And so, of course, they were looking for some way to grab onto a few more sales wherever they could. And so re-releasing, reissuing the album and going, hey, guys, there was this track that you didn't know about. (laughs) And we're going to put it in a place where you could see it. Yeah, I get that 100%. So So the actual start of the album, we'll pretend like Uncle Bobby doesn't exist. It's either before the first song or it's the last song if you're streaming. Either way, if you want to listen to it, knock yourself out. But I'm... I have very little to say about it. I um, I agree. Uncle Bobby is not a great track. So so we will start at the official start. Track one, Beautiful Bride. Yes. I think the reason that this album did not catch on starts off right here. Because this song has a very odd groove to it. It has a very weird kind of bounce and vibe to it. And as we talked about on previous episodes where bands lyrically, you can kind of go back and forth. This could be about a relationship. This could be about a a God, Jesus Christ kind of thing. There is no confusing what we are talking about here. It is very overtly beautiful bride, body of Christ. It's very like praise and worship lyrically. And there was tons of that on the first album. It was all over that album, but it was never as overt as it is here. And this is track one. It is never as overt on the first album as it is on this entire album. Yes, I will say that. So I will say musically, this album is good. It's got spots where it's great, and this is one of the ones where it's great. And I actually really enjoy how they multi-tracked her vocals. And then they actually uh, did a multi-track of her background screaming the chorus, which I thought was a great move. And so production-wise, this first track is great. I really like this first track. If you can ignore the vocals, and that's actually one of my biggest criticisms of this album, is musically, it's good. It's got some really, really strong points. Musically, it's good. And I think she is actually a distraction in this album. I feel like, and I actually say this at one point, I feel like the band stepped forward just kind of in there. Like they just, they stepped forward in like a natural progression. And it's almost like she's forcing herself to move forward. And I don't like that. It's distracting. I, I don't like it. So I I spent a good amount of time trying to figure out what this term is. As a musician, I should know things better than I do, but I don't. And the only term that I could come up with was melzomatic vocals, but that's not exactly it. Lacey has this tendency to sing a line 
And on the very last word, falsetto up. Yes. And it's like, we, we talk about, is it, it's not a feature, it's a bug. It's not a bug, it's a feature, whatever. Right. To me, this gets old. Yes. And as much as I, I do like her voice, I think she's got a great range. She can do a lot of really cool things, but I agree. I agree. I think that I, I personally like the lyrics on this song. The vocal delivery is okay, but no, I agree. I find that the musicianship on this album is phenomenal in a lot of places, but her vocals are just fine. So we have talked about how the first track on an album needs to be a good opener for the album. And I don't think this is it. You know, aside from the lyrical content that you were talking about, I don't think even musically this is it. I would have actually swapped track two or track three, depending on what how you look at it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Track two again. Every injustice and deadly fate Praying it all I think is a great song. I so think this it should was, have been the beginning, especially since it's the second album. You title the first track again. It's like, here we are again. Okay. Anyway. So again was the first single and it was a yes. smart move because it incorporates a lot of what made the first album so popular. I think it's a fine song. Personally, I like Beautiful Bride more because I like weird stuff that doesn't always jive well for the average person. And that's kind of what I think Beautiful Bride does. But again, is a very smart pop rock song. And um, I don't think again is a bad song. I just think again should have been the opener. I don't think Beautiful Bride is a yeah. bad song. I don't think it should have been the opener. Like, I think those two should have been switched. And yeah. that's one of my biggest criticisms because after the second song, the album starts falling off for me. Three, I think is fine. But, you know, here in two, I do think the song has a good rise and fall. I do think that they should have mixed up things a little bit because it's like the, uh, the, when it kicks in and gets a little bit heavier, it's like, it's the same every time. And I felt like after the first one, they should have put like a couple snare, you know, like, bah, 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 like right before the, the beginning mm -hmm. of it, because I found the song started to get a little repetitive, but it is more mid paced. It's, it's a good track. I like this song and it may be because I've heard it a bunch of times because it was a single, right. you know, I don't know if that's why I liked it or I just like the track. So for me, it's, it's a good song and I understand why they would release it as a single. The only thing that I thought was really interesting on this song is I like the guitar tone of the lead lick. It sounds yes. very Tom Morello audio slave era. Mm -hmm. And I like that. We're going to get into the guitars here in a couple minutes. Again, as a guitar player, there's something special about this album that the average just music fan might not pick up on as clearly, but I want to discuss. But after, again, you get Chasm. And I've been wrecking my brain to figure out what that opening riff reminds me of. 
when the song gets going, I hear a little bit of Cashmere by Led Zeppelin. A little bit. But there's there's that I don't know if it's Rage Against the Machine. I don't know what it is, but there's something that that riff reminds me of, and I like it. So I thought the guitar was on point in this song. I I love this song musically. I did find that after a few listens through to the album, this song started to lose its luster. It started to lose its appeal. And that's why I say after two, the album starts falling off for me because, you know, while Chasm, I think, was a great song the first time I heard it, I don't think it was as good the fifth time I heard it. And sure, sure. You know, as we've talked about in the past, we'd take these albums and just kind of cram them into our brain, you know, for sitting down and recording this. And I probably listened through to this album, I don't know, eight times. And I want to say I did that hoping to get like more out of it. And it was like I got less out of it. And it was where this song started to get the less, you know, the, the lesser sort of off. I think Chasm would be a great workout track. And I think part of it is actually where her vocals are not terrible. And I think part of that is because there's bits of distortion that are turned on on her vocals at different points. And it's not, yes. it's not taxing. And yeah, her, her vocals are very, I, I said creepy in this one. They're a little more yeah. subtle. And then she, she really has these, I will say the choruses of almost every song I like because they're big and they're bright and it really plays well with the dark and the low of the, the music usually i like her vocals in this one and it's it's interesting that you would say chasm is sort of where it starts to you know kind of come down after this because for me track four missing is where we get into some cool stuff that again, um, and this is not me trying to be a pretentious dick, I swear, but as a musician, there's certain things that I'm picking out that the band is doing that maybe other casual listeners aren't hearing, but that starts mostly on this song missing. Okay. So why on missing like why this one and i feel like this is the most radio friendly chorus like it just it's very it less driving of a tempo i hate that damn tambourine in this song the tambourine drove me nuts and there was this song where i quit listening to it in headphones i just nope i can't do it i hate a tambourine i do okay this is so, the most generic track that they've ever done but it's not because there's one note that they play in the chorus that should not be there. It's only there so it won't be the most generic rock song you've ever heard. Because if you listen to the chorus when she's singing, something's missing in me, the guitar line behind her hits the middle note that should not be played. It walks down chromatically. Instead of going a typical four chord progression, it does this do, 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 do. And it's so gnarly and dark. The first time I heard this song, that chorus hit, I got goosebumps all over my body because I was like, 
that is that is wrong. That is so weird. And it's it's the kind of thing that, hey, not the average person is going to pick up on. And I understand that. But if you listen for it, and that's a lot of this album. If you just listen to it on the surface and you you focus on the vocals and the lyrics and the typical chord progressions, I get it. But if you go that deep and you start to hear the weird little things they're doing, it's it, it blows my mind. Like I don't understand. Like any normal producer would have been like, "Ooh, take that out, take that out." That note you're you're adding the dissonant chord, but they do it anyway, and that's I love that. I absolutely love that. Okay, so I I think maybe I missed it because of the tambourine, and I'm gonna say <laughs> that the producer should have said, "Take out the tambourine." Uh, well, Howard like- Benson has put out a few good albums. He probably knows what he's doing. But then again, this is probably sold less than most of the albums he's produced. So who knows? I mean, Quentin Tarantino has put out some good movies, but then he also put out Jackie Brown. So, <laughs> you know, everybody's got something that, that, that's a misstep. <laughs> it, it's if, just if, it's unavoidable. You listen to this song and it sounds like a generic pop rock song. I understand that. But if you just give it one more chance, listen to the chorus and hear that little chromatic walk down behind her vocals. There's it. The only way I can describe it. And, and I don't know if this is like the right terminology. It sounds sinister. Like it sounds like you've got this real pretty something's missing in me. And it's all like, oh, okay, blah, blah, blah. And then the guitar. Like, no, it shouldn't do that. It's, I don't know. That's, okay. and that for me starts on this song, and we start doing that in the next couple songs too. And that's where I actually have said in the beginning, and I'm going to say it over and over again, that I feel like musically this album is better. Vocally, this album is worse. And vocally, vocally, it becomes a distraction, and I feel like ruins the album to me. So there's a few bands that I really like that over the past couple years have been putting out two versions of their albums, one vocals, one instrumental. Yeah. Protest the Heroes done this. Quite a few Shrezzers. Yeah. yeah. Shrezzers has and, done it. Yeah. Typically those are, I don't want to say avant-garde, but super technical musician based bands where you listen to a lot of instrumental music that sounds that way. So you Actually, know, I, I believe Sleep that. Token has done that. So yes. Yes. Yeah. But, I would love to hear this record without the vocals. Yeah, I'm with you on that uh, because I would like to hear this album in a version that I like. <laughs> and yes. I would like to hear this album without vocals and tambourine. Nothing will so, pull me out of an album faster or pull me out of a song faster than a damn tambourine. And it's so funny how we're wired because I was so enamored with that chorus that I the tambourine just completely escaped me. Uh, I like the verses on this song, but it's the chorus that just, again, I I love it. Absolutely love it. So tell me when this close starts, what do you think about that intro? I thought it was a fine intro. I didn't think it was a bad intro. I thought it was a fine intro. Oh! <laughs> and and the thing about it is, the thing about this album overall is it's got something that will be good or great 
and then something will follow it that will ruin what just happened. And like, like the song before this, musically it was fine, and then a tambourine happened and it ruined everything that happened before. On this one, good intro, and then the song picks up, and I'm like, nah, I'm out. I mean, I'm really surprised that this one did not get more radio play because it is a very radio friendly song. But Ooh. at this point, I think that uh, Flyleaf had kind of run out, you know, their their good graces with the public. And, uh, yeah, and yeah, because after after they released again, I think Missing was the next one, and I don't think either one of those hit. So I, I think they just moved on to the next thing. Yeah, this song outside of that intro. This song is not distinctive. It does not jump out. It's not, it's a power ballad, but it's a fine power. It's the power ballad that, that, uh, Flyleaf would put out. And for all of our listeners, if you know, you can't see us, but I am making Monster very uncomfortable right now. Before we started recording, I made a joke and I said, what are we talking about? And you said the name of the album. And I said, oh, man, I forgot to listen to it. I'm starting to think you forgot to listen to no, it. No, no. What are you saying? This song. OK, first of all, again, no, the I musician listen, brain. I listen to this album in all the settings that I try to put an album in, in the background, doing something while I'm cooking through headphones. I've sat down and just listened to it straightforward. And, you know, th okay, so this doesn't okay, sound okay, like a traditional power ballad because the beginning doesn't definitely doesn't hit it. But then once the song kicks in, once she starts singing, it turns into a power ballad. Let me put it that way. Okay. You're taking way too long here. Listen. Okay. The way this song starts is incredibly I didn't we were on a time limit. No, but you've been talking for 25 minutes straight, and I'm about to lose my mind because I have to speak. <laughs> <laughs> But no, okay, so the intro to this song is fascinating. It sounds like the two guitar players and the bass player are all three playing completely different songs. They sound completely dissonant, out of tune, out of focus, and it should not work. You're right. But it somehow it does. It did. And so again, from a musician standpoint, whatever's happening at the beginning of this song is like, okay, wow. So when the verses kick in, it makes sense to drop it super, super low because you've been like smashed in the face with dissonance for the first 15, 20 seconds. So the verses don't necessarily stand out to me, but it makes sense that they would go into that direction. When the chorus hits, this thing is huge. Now, Lacey's doing that thing with her vocals again, where at the end of every line, her voice cracks and goes up into that falsetto. And for some people, that might just be the icing on the cake. For me, I wish she would stop doing that every single song. Yes. I get that's part of her signature sound or whatever. But Pick a new and, signature. And I, and I will agree with you that there is like the musicianship on this album is so super interesting. And then her vocals just kind of distract, <laughs> like yeah. detract, distract, whatever you want to say. But for me, when this song, again, especially coming out of Missing and I heard the little chromatic walk down and then this song starts with, it sounds like the band falls down a flight of stairs, but somehow is still melodic. I don't think people, if you're not a musician, I don't, I, it's hard to explain how to sound dissonant and still in tune with one another. Because 
dissonance, dissonant chords doesn't necessarily just mean out of tune or out of key. You still play it along with the other instruments. The intro to this song is fascinating to me, and they do play it throughout the song. The, the song as a whole is fine, and I don't see it as a power ballad necessarily, but I, I just, I just, that intro, the way those instruments play together is just, I still can't wrap my head around it. Okay, so she has power ballad verses. Let's put it that way. Yeah. You know, it's once she starts singing, that's when I got that feeling. And that's why I made that note that it feels like a power ballad when she starts singing. Now, the next song, The Kind. I have a very weird sounds like. And I want you to tell me, did this song remind you of anything else? Sixpence? No. Her no, vocals but Her vocals actually her vocals, yeah. on uh, on this song. And there's actually a couple of places where her vocals actually sound like Lee Nash, the singer of Sixpence mm-hmm. and the Richer. Mm-hmm. And I, I do appreciate that on this song she screamed a bit, but not know. so much her her vocals tone, but the rhythm of the sounds so much like get home i get stoned by hinder (laughs) yeah and actually i really enjoyed this song musically i like the intro and the less heavy parts i don't like it when they pick up you know that's that's my biggest or that's my my notes for this song is she sounds like lee nash from sixpence and i like the intro and less heavy parts yeah, so this is one again where the chord progression is is not like the most off kilter thing, but it's still not just straightforward. They're they're still trying to be creative within making a pop rock song. So I, I I appreciate that. It just every time she starts doing that vocal thing, it just yeah, and immediately thought about it. <laughs> maybe it worked more on the first album. But I feel like the band grew. I don't mm-hmm. feel like she did, especially in her height, because she's still very tiny. But I, I don't feel like she grew in her vocal ability at all. But I feel like the rest of the band grew in, in their ability to play their instruments, plain and simple. And I, I felt like if you got a train that's moving and a wheel falls off of one of the cars, that train is not going to move at the same pace. It's not going to move in the same way. And I think that's what we got with this album. She lost a wheel or two. The rest of the band didn't and kept moving forward. Plain and simple. And a, and a, and a good example of that to me is on the next song in the dark. For the longest time, I didn't really know what this song sounded like because I couldn't get past the first 20 times she says, in the dark, in the dark, in the dark. Okay, okay, I get it. I get it. Please get on with the song. Like we keep saying, her vocals for, I, and I think that's honestly, that to me is the biggest reason this album didn't sell because on the first album, her vocals 
were just about everybody's favorite part. Yes. But on this album, she's not doing a lot of what made that one so great. I get that she's probably trying to accommodate the shift in sound, but it's very, it just doesn't click very well. Once this song actually gets going, I like this one. The guitars, again, are very interesting. There's this chuggy thing that goes along with this clean, chimey tone. And they oftentimes sound like they're like butting up against each other. Again, it it feels uncomfortable. Like if you and and I think that honestly, as a person who is a musician, I'm noticing this and can kind of block the vocals out a little bit. But I'd almost would like some people to be able to hear this instrumentally to kind of maybe I think with Lacey doing what Lacey's doing all over this album, people are missing what's going on underneath that. Yep. So I feel like there was a tension and release pattern throughout this song. And I really enjoyed that aspect of it. This was another one where I feel like her vocals were like completely modeled after Lee Nash from Sixpence again. Yeah. I really want her to stop doing that. I want her to stop. Just, just stop. Um, She's not going to be a priority when I go to Blue Ridge. Yeah, and it's it's mind-boggling because I think from the first album, most people would say one of the strongest points of this band is Lacey. Mm-hmm. And here, it's I can usually, I'm usually okay with it, but it does distract from what the band is doing. And what the band is doing is incredibly interesting, especially in 2009. There's got to be somebody else in the band that can sing. Just you know, step up and do some other vocals, but and then not to get off track. But when we talked about the, the other singer, they didn't name? play Kristen music. May? Was it? Maybe. I don't yeah, know. Okay. The album they did with her does not sound like this musically. No. And that's no. the thing. Every album sounds a little bit different and I commend them for that. Yeah. But this sound musically is my favorite. And I feel like Lacey is doing the worst she's done on any Flyleaf record on top of it. And that bums me out. <laughs> Give me this music with the other singer. I would be in, interested to hear it. Yeah. Even if it doesn't work perfectly, you know? So I really like the guitar on this song. The, mm-hmm. the, uh, especially in the intro to this song, I really enjoyed that opening tone. I, I liked it. And then, uh, I'm with you on, it took me a bit to get past that beginning. Yeah, Her, I, This was one where she destroyed the song. You know, musically, it's great. She ruins it. Plain and simple. So, so this, this next section here, uh, number eight, set apart this dream. I love the intro. The there there's a really high pitched lead guitar line that's really pretty. We talked about this on previous episodes. It's simple, it's very lyrical, it's the kind of thing that gets stuck in your head. And if you listen to the other guitar and the bass behind it, super low. But in this case, 
the two lines actually sort of complement each other and they don't sound like they're as combative as they do on uh, other songs. And another reason this song sounds a little different than some of the stuff before it is this song actually goes up chromatically key-wise, whereas most of the songs in the verses and choruses come down. It does come down in the chorus, but her vocals go up, so you don't notice that. But the verses in this song are are stronger than a lot of the verses on this album because chromatically it, it goes up and it sounds brighter. And I, I did notice that it does do that, and I feel like this one isn't so much a great pick for this album, but I do feel like it's a nice juxtaposition against the song before it. Yeah, yes. And her vocals aren't terrible on the song. They don't grate my nerves quite as bad as other ones. But I feel like this is a song that is better live than on the album. I feel like this would be a great live track. And I think it's because musically, the song is a lot more simple and it's a lot more driving while also being less driving in the rhythm section of things. It's it's kind of a weird a weird thing, but I do feel like it would be a great live track. But as far as on the album, I feel like it's only there to play against the track before. I think we both agree that the track order on this album is a little awkward and yeah. not the best. And one but of the things that makes agree. it awkward is that there's so many of them. Agreed. Agreed. This, and, and I'll get to that before I finish this discussion, but, but I agree in this instance, I think this was a good place for this song because it did come after such a no pun intended dark song. I don't think it was but, a necessary track for this album, but I do feel like it was put here for the reason to play against the one. Ooh, I, I disagree. This is one of my favorites on the album. It really is. But I will also say another reason that I like this song so much is the chorus. It's huge. And she, her vocals soar, but you know what she doesn't do? At the end of each line, she, she holds out note. She yeah. doesn't falsetto it up a, a key. It just stays dream. And it's just so much better. And I don't understand why they didn't like tell her, Hey, that's a really cool thing you can do with your voice. You should do it like every fourth or fifth song. Do it, do it three or four times on this album, not every song and i think that's why this because doesn't great minerva is bad right but she does do it a little bit in the verse it's just yeah. it's a little more subtle but that's why i like this one so much it actually and i just realized this but one of the things about male vocals that drive me nuts is when they re like end of every line you get the <sighs> yeah right yeah i hate that the i hate that that little bit on there it's a, and I know it's a breathing thing and I know it's when they just haven't quite mastered the breathing of singing, but it will take me out of a song real quick, just like this, but go on. Sorry. I just made that in my head and I wanted to share that, that if you want me to enjoy your album, don't make those sounds at the end of lines and don't put a damn tambourine in your song. We, we now know how to make the perfect danger rock record. That's um, all I want. Swept away. Track nine. Those are smooth and spotless years Pink of sewage Don't the real press church clothes Your eyes are black and empty Your deeds are just Another one of my absolute favorites on this album. And here's why. 
same as before, this intro is just a jangled mess mm -hmm. that somehow works. It's chaotic and melodic all at the same time. It has no right to be as cool as it is. The bass tone in this song, very similar to Missing, it's it's adding an extra note when it walks chromatically down that gives it that feeling. Yeah. Like I yeah. can't put into words exactly what it is. I said earlier, sinister. It's It's got this extra note that just is not supposed to be there in a pop rock song. I do have another funny sounds like, though. Does this song remind you of any other bands or anything in no, particular? No, no. Who are you thinking? What are you, what are you getting? This after? reminded me of Neon Ballroom era Silver Chair. That is a strange pull. <laughs> so I know what you're talking about because this song, I felt like this song was the absolute climax of this album. This song really shows the growth and maturity of the musicianship of things and that that eh, that you're talking about i think i've put my finger on it where it's like the bass goes down a half note in that little right. bit yeah and the rhythm section of this song killed it i loved it yeah i didn't the guitar didn't really jump out to me and i definitely did not get any silver chair off of this one <laughs> You know, Specifically in the verses, it reminds me of that Silver Chair song. Uh, oh God, the one where he's talking about eating meat. Um, oh, I can't remember. I've listened to a lot of now. Silver Chair, and I don't know that. Yeah, song. it's it's. I saw it them was live, the, and there was no eat meeting either. Meat eating? No, no meat eating, not meat eating. eat meeting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's the one that was on the Spawn soundtrack. That's the first place I heard it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't and matter. eat eating um, is where we get together to talk about we're getting lunch. <laughs> yeah, like a free pizza party. Right. Uh, so this, okay, I agree with you. This to me, this is a great song. And there's nothing after this that I feel like has to stay. No. I can... I can see certain people being like, oh, the lyrics on this one are important to me, or I really like the verses or the chorus of this song, and you pick one or two of these to finish out your record. But the fact that this goes on for another like 20-some minutes is unnecessary. Okay, um, so what I will say is that the album, okay, Swept Away is great. And I'm going to 100% agree with you. There is nothing after this that's worth it. I absolutely hated Treasure. I hated that song. And okay, I will so tell you why. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you simply why. Now, we talked about in track one, Beautiful Bride. There is no mistaking what this album is. Treasure, from the first 
note the the first sound of that that track it, it it feels entirely like a rock band doing a worship song and you know like they're trying to put this thing on there i felt like the rest of these tracks were here for a, like personal purpose personal reasons whatever to the band and i felt like treasure is we're gonna make a worship song and you, you want to know something funny sure i agree 100 <laughs> percent. but doing research for this album according to what i've seen this song isn't even about god yep it's about her engagement yep yep i know <laughs> the one song that is so blatantly praise and worship is not about god it's right. about a human yeah don't love that <laughs> no but i it, yeah it, there again after after that one there's nothing on this but i do feel like track 14 arise Where okay. Beautiful Bride, I don't think, was a great opener for this album. I felt like Arise was a great closer because Arise actually kind of gave you what the album was. And then the guitar, like, fade out, ring out, whatever you want to call it, into just her vocals. And her vocals were not killing me on this one. I really felt like was a great way to actually end this album and the way that they let that kind of the guitar kind of ride out and then just her and then her vocals kind of just came lower and lower. And then I felt like it actually closed things. And I really, really liked that. So and and I'm going to go through this really super fast because we don't need to talk about these songs, but just no. so our listeners are aware. Track nine was sw- swept away. This album goes on for six more tracks. There's a song called Tiny Heart. That to me is it sounds like an Avril Lavigne song more than a Flyleaf song. Melting, which is just a one minute long interlude that sounds like an orchestra tuning. The song that not needed at all. The song that uh, Danger just mentioned, Treasure. Which I think is fine. It's a love song. It's it's not great. It doesn't do anything super interesting. Then you've got Circle. Love, 
same thing. It's it's a whole lot of what they've already done, but nothing's as good as anything else on the album. It's just feels like filler. I felt like I with Circle, with- they were actually trying to do another treasure. Kinda. And and again, so this is all happening. Boom, boom, boom. So whatever goodwill that you built up in those first nine tracks, you are you're and I think this is the problem. This is such a bloated back half of all these meandering mid-level songs that it makes people not want to go back. They forgot how cool and interesting some of the stuff at the beginning of the album was because they've been listening to this dredge for 20 minutes, you know? The last part of this album is a workout. It is, and I agree with you on that. And and so having Uncle Bobby back here as well... Does no favors because that's another song that well, is very much de- depends on which one you're listening to. Are you listening right, to the but- digital version? Are you listening to the album, the the physical? Yeah, and that I've got no problem. Yeah, see, I've got no problem if Uncle Bobby was only it's at a Thanksgiving. Little, yeah, it's a little secret that nobody knows about unless you yeah. know how to get to it. Like, cool, that's fine. But now, because of what streaming has done, this is the closing track to your record. And it's stupid. Like, it's not a bad song. I'm not saying that it's like the worst song ever made. I'm just saying, and I'm sure Flyleaf would say the same thing. This is not the song they wanted to end the record with. Yeah. I felt like it becoming uh, the closer for digital release. And then you got extra tracks, which actually a different track is now the closer, which I listened to in passing as well. Uh, Like you said, the beginning, it's not a good move. All of it. It's just, it's not needed. But so your point, I think you get to track nine, you leave the first nine alone. Uh, I mean, move them around a little, but all nine of those I think have their merits and they can stay. Then with this back half, if, if it was me, I would nix everything except for treasure and arise. Basically what bands need to do is consult us before releasing an album because we'll tell if their tracks are out of order or something needs to stay. And and hey, I may be way, way off in this assumption, but just for my personal taste, I think you cut this down to about an 11 or 12 track album. Even if you don't love Treasure, even if you don't love Arise, that's that's eight minutes. That's nine minutes, not 25 minutes. And I really do think that hurts the replayability of an album like this because I'll be honest with you, when I picked this album, the first thing that jumped to my mind was, ooh, I can't wait to talk about Missing and Set Apart This Dream and Swept Away. I love those songs. And then I started listening to the album. And I was like, oh, I forgot about this part. And it just slogs. And I remember, same as you, I've listened to this album over and over and over. There was a couple times where I started at track 10. And I said, okay, let me start here. And let me hear these songs without hearing the first nine. And let me get something out of this. What what am I missing by being so enthralled in the first half? What am I missing? I don't know. I don't think I'm missing anything. I think these are just kind of bland, generic, meandering rock songs. 100% going to agree with you. I really don't know why this left, last part happened. And, and and let me just say, I don't want to discount or discredit anybody who 
the lyrics to treasure just blew your mind away and, and fills your heart with joy. Like if that's a great song to you, I'm glad. Uh, same with uncle Bobby. I don't know what that's about. It's probably about something horrific, but again, if these are things that mean a lot to you, I'm not trying to, you know, piss on your parade. I'm just saying that. And again, just because of who I am, I am thinking about this very musically and, Lyrically and vocally, hey, maybe she's doing something that means a lot to somebody. But musically, these don't do anything for me. Mm -mm. No, me either. Me either. I can't agree with you more. Uh, Well, excuse me. I'm going to disagree with you on uh, the overall for this album, because overall, this is not an album that I will ever go back to. Musically, it's fine, but she ruins it for me. I felt like the very beginning was... a was good and then everything got worse after that if i can get an instrumental copy of this i would i would love to hear it i i still think those first nine songs have some incredibly interesting music stuff going on not not polyphia not shrezers not like incredible technical unbelievable stuff but just the decisions that they're making with the chord progressions and the the lead lines is very interesting for young musicians and 2009. So I commend them for trying to be weird. But I agree. I think Lacey doesn't add anything to this and in some spots hurts it. I'm trying to think there might be one or two songs that benefit from her vocal style, but overall... I would love to hear this instrumentally or with a different vocalist. Just, you know. Well, they got a, they had a different vocalist at one point, so maybe. I, I'm curious uh, if they played some of these songs live. Um, I'm sure they did. I would imagine. Yeah. Maybe I should just YouTube that and see if I can find yeah. a couple and see if it changes my opinion. But so, Danger, would you like to give us your, your closing thoughts, your ranking? Sure. Sure. I hope you still like me after this. <laughs> Well, you know, I only flipped out once or twice during this discussion. I think we'll be all right. No, it's fine. Flip out again. Um, All right. Heavy guitar with rumbling bass is the sound of this album. And strong strong instrumentation writing and distracting vocals is uh, the sound that sound like she's really trying seems to define this album. The first few tracks are driving and borderline impressive, making it a top-heavy album, and more than Dolly Parton. I am. I like that joke, so I'm going to stick with it. I know. I know. I, I, I hear you. <laughs> yeah, but that's what it is to me. I'm really impressed with the musicality of this album, and that's it. The emphasis on the vocal being far more of a focus leads to a sound that is more pop and marketable. Lacey Sturm has pipes and that stand up well, but this isn't her best outing. I would say that this album misses a couple of tricks, but hits the beats. This feels like the band stepped forward and Lacey pushed forward. This album is poppy where it should be heavy or clever. While the Christian lyrics will keep it out of the mainstream charts for the most part, I do stand by this should be given a fair chance. I do think it can be a distraction for the person who just wants a good album to listen to and not a Lacey Sturm solo album. I give this a six. That's that's not i mean i thought i was waiting for the bomb to drop i i i feel like that was very fair and so i higher feel, than i thought you were gonna give it. i actually almost gave this a four 
but but I've you know in going back and listening to it, I was like musically this album is on point. There are a few tracks that really missed the mark, especially in that last half, and I think the strong musicianship shown in I don't even want to say the last half. I would say the last third. Uh, the strong musicianship shown in the first two thirds, I think, actually outweighs it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. If her vocals had been more like the first album or less with the falsetto, I think it really could have bumped this up to an eight, possibly a nine. But also at the same time, the overtly Christian lyrics also hurt this album because you and I have talked about how when there's a song that can be interpreted in different ways, it's fun. You know, when a song is just very clear on what it is, I think it was Caroline Spine, the rock and roll hero. There was no mixing up what that song was about. It was right. very obvious what it was. And there's a lot of songs in this song, on this album that it's the same thing, you know, except for uh, treasure that we both thought, <laughs> you know, right. And, I feel like there should be more of that in it. And the thing is, is that I don't give two shits if you're a Christian band. If you write good music, you write good music. And there's a lot of Christian bands that I actually like because I feel like they write good songs. They they have a good album. Right. I don't feel like this is. This is it. But yeah. I do want to say that I did bump my rating up listening to this album more because of the musicianship in the first two thirds of this album. So... And, and you don't have to disclose this if you don't want to. But during this conversation, the conversation you and I have been having made me change my rating. Now, I don't know if that's happened to you on any episode yet, but as we are discussing this and as you're going through your final thoughts, I kind of was skimming through mine and was like, I saw the number and I was like, I don't think I can stay with that number. <sighs> After the things I've said and the things that you have said, I think I'm going to change that number. So, and yes, uh, the issues uh, episode, I changed my rating during that. As you should have. Okay. <laughs> okay. So this is a vibe album from me up until the last handful of songs. Every song on this album feels like it belongs with one another again, until those last handful of songs. There's some really unique melody choices, both in the vocals and in the instrumentations. There's this weird juxtaposition between dark dissonance and soaring high cleans. I can see why this album didn't do as well as their previous outing, but to me, this is a more mature and distinct sounding record. I've listened to previous albums and their newer material, and nothing sounds as unique and cohesive as this album. It's one that can be heavy emotionally, and I have to be in the right mood for it. But when I am, this thing really works for me, at least until the last four or five songs. The last 20 minutes or so of this record is what keeps it from being truly special and being an all-timer for me. I'm sure lyrically and musically, there is something in those few songs that mean a lot to somebody, but they just fall way short for me. As it stands, this is a great record that I return to often but rarely listen to all the way through one to 10 and give it a six. Okay. So I kind of wish I'd given it a five now, but <laughs> I'm going to stick with my six. I'm just going to stick with it. When we first started this conversation, I had it at a seven. And as we talked about it, when I realized 
how many songs there actually are, how many tracks on this record that make me go, I don't like that. What's funny is there is a whole album of songs here that I love, but there's just so much other stuff that I just don't even like a little yeah. bit. It's not, it's not as good. It's, I don't like this. So I couldn't, I just couldn't keep it that high. Okay. So, all right. Both of us gave this album a six, which actually puts us at an average of six for this album. Oh, okay. Thank you for clearing that up. Yep. And so that actually ties it with Caroline Spine's Attention, Please. <laughs> and actually, which is not fair. <laughs> and actually puts it 0.25 lower than Radiohead's OK Computer. Well, I mean, it shouldn't be above Radiohead's <laughs> OK Computer. No, I mean, it's, I don't know. What's, what's really funny about these, these averages is it's really kind of putting things a little more perspective of like where albums are falling just between our two opinions alone. Right. Right. You know, and And that was another thing that crossed my mind was like, okay, I know some of the records that I was given in seven and eights to, I can't give this higher than about a six because I know what I was giving seven and eights to also know what I gave a three to, but we'll get to that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I mean, we both have ones that we've given low scores to, but you've given the only three. So yes. (laughs) And there will be more. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure there will. I'm sure there will. All right, cool. Well, I got nothing else for, uh, for break or not for this episode. Anyway. Yeah. I got nothing else for this episode for this album. Danger, what are we discussing next week? Next week, we are talking about This Wildlife, their album, Everblossom. And we'll get into why we're discussing that album more next week. Sounds good. Well, thank you guys for joining us for another Breakdowns for Breakfast. I hope you have a toasty day. Bye. Later.